2: Hello kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday we release these special episodes where we look back at Risk content from our earlier years. Now, for a long time now, the first two years worth of Risk episodes, the ones from October of 2009 through October of 2011, have been behind a paywall. But that's been a little confusing for a lot of Risk fans who are always, telling us they didn't even know those first two years worth of episodes existed. So we thought it would be fun if every other Thursday now, we reran an entire episode from the very earliest days. Now, as we review these throwbacks, remember many of these recordings were made over a decade ago. I just ask that you keep that historical context in mind. Today in 2020, there's a vastly different consciousness. Risk has always asked our storytellers to err on the side of not being too cautious, to speak in as unfiltered a way as possible. That said, we also want our storytellers to be compassionate in their storytelling. But even in stories where you hear an overall compassionate context to the sharing, you might still notice some moments that strike you as cringeworthy today. A lot of these storytellers, and myself as the host of some of the oldest episodes, would probably have handled those moments differently today. As always, the title of the series, Risk, is itself a trigger warning. This week, the 15th episode of Risk ever made. It premiered in April of 2010, and it's called Love. <laughs> Don't mind him. There's at least one risk you're already taking, because this is Risk, the show where people tell true tales they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. That was Alec Gross up top, making like the good Godfather Brown. And today's episode is about nothing more nor less than love, the beauty, folks, and the beast. Love is the drug we're thinking of, And we're thinking we'll start with a story from the Risk live show by our pal Leslie Goshko. a bird in the hand.
1: When I was in high school, I managed to get one and only one date, and during which I got car sick and vomited on his crotch. So it didn't look like dating was going to get a lot better for me when I got into college because I was only meeting guys like Doug, and Doug was one of the most obnoxious loudmouthed self-centered just like really egotistical guys i had ever met in my life and every conversation you had with him he had to insist that not only was he as funny as adam sandler but he was just as jewish so imagine my surprise two years later i find myself head over heels in love with this guy and how that happened was we both worked in the music department And we had similar schedules, and we were spending a lot of time together. And he was going through a breakup with his girlfriend, and so I was consoling him through this whole thing. And he was opening up, and I saw a different side to Doug. I saw that he had feelings, and he was really sensitive, and he was as funny and Jewish as Adam Sandler. So I get this huge crush on him, but I keep it to myself because I don't want to ruin our friendship. So one day we're hanging out, and Doug says to me, oh, Leslie, did I tell you what the guys on my floor did to me? i said no where are the guys on the floor be? he said well you know i like to sleep naked i was like i do now and he says well i got into bed and i felt this lump next to me so i got up turned on the light turns out the guys on my floor put a dead pigeon in my bed just as i'm about to say that's jacked up he goes Isn't that hilarious? I love those guys. Now, I don't know what malfunction went on in my head at this moment, but in the split second when he said that, my brain took a meeting with Kevin Spacey's character from the movie Seven. And then they invited the nihilist from the Big Lebowski. And they all got together and they concocted this great game plan for me, which was Leslie. If he loves those guys that much for putting a dead pigeon in his bed, how much more will he love you if you send him dead animals through the campus post office? <laughs> I was like, yes, that's a great idea. That's what we're going to do. And that's what I did. And it's funny. You know, you hear that phrase when people say, you know, when you make up your mind to do something, the universe comes to your aid. And it does. Because everywhere I looked, there were dead animals. There were baby birds with broken necks. And they were maggot-filled sparrows. And I was like, it's a sign of love. We're going to have babies and get married. So what I would do every day I would make a mental note of where these dead birds were and then at night I would come out with a ziploc bag put the bird in the bag zip it up and then bring it up to my dorm room but then once I was in my dorm room I was like I can't have a dead bird in my room that's crazy so I would take that walk down the hall to the communal dorm freezer put it in there in the morning take it out wrap it up in a box send it through the campus post office and it was on his mailbox during the day so I do a couple of these, and he starts mentioning to me, you know, I'm getting dead animals in the mail. And I say, oh, it must be those friends of yours who can commit to long-term relationships. And so, and then every once in a while, like, I'll, I'll mix it up. Like, if I find, like, a squirrel, I put it in a pizza box, and I pay a friend to deliver it to him. So this goes on for a while, and spring break is coming up. And we had a really large group of mutual friends. And so we were all going to go and spend spring break at this ranch in Montana. And I was so excited because I was wooing Doug and like doing all this work. And now I was going to have all this face time. And I was telling my friend how excited I was. And she said, oh, no, no, we're dropping Doug off in Wyoming. He has family there. And I was like, no, all my hard work. And now I have to go to plan B, which is just like let him touch my boob in the van. So I was like, OK, I'll make the best of it. So the day comes and we're loading up the van to go on this trip. And right before we're about to leave, Doug pulls me aside and says, "Listen, I know you're sending me dead animals." <laughs> to which I said, "That's crazy talking. And then he goes, "Do you want to come to Wyoming with me?" <laughs> and I was shocked and excited, but also confused because I didn't know what was more messed up—the fact that I thought I could sue a man with dead animal carcasses—or the fact that it worked. But I was like, "Okay, let's go." So we go and we get dropped off in Wyoming and we have this great week together, like I meet his friends, I meet his family, you know, I'm past the point where I'm vomiting on my dates, like this is going really well. And we get picked up at the end of the week and we go back to school and I was like, Yay, I have a boyfriend now. But when we get back to school, things change. He starts avoiding me. He doesn't return my calls. And now we're not working as much together at the office and I'm so confused what has happened in the short amount of time since we've been back. And so I decide I'm just gonna go to the music office and ask him what's up. So I go there and there's nobody in there. And I turn to leave and as I'm leaving, I hear voices coming from the utility closet. And this is the part, like if it was a horror movie where you see the girl like walking down the dark hall towards the room with the chainsaw you're like, why are you walking there? Don't open the door, don't open the door. And I didn't want to but I had to because it was in the script. So I go and I open the door and there is Doug and the ex-girlfriend and they're making out. And I just, I feel like I've been sucker punched like 8,000 times. I'm looking at them and Doug's looking at me and he's not saying anything and I don't have anything to say to him and so I just grab the door and I shut it and I leave. And then to add insult to injury, a couple days later when we do talk about it, he just says, well, you and I were never officially together and then i get this other lovely surprise from my university which is if i don't attend summer school i'm not going to graduate so i finish the rest of that semester being a lovely surly person and then i enroll in summer school and i'm unpacking in my new dorm room and the door opens i turn around to introduce myself to my new roommate but i don't have to because i already know her it's the ex-girlfriend and just as i'm about to say hell to the no she puts up her hand says listen i'm sorry we're not together he's a jerk can we just talk and even though at this point like I'm distinctly going with the idea of kicking her square in the badge like I'm in summer school so I have nothing else to do so I say okay so we sit down and we talk and she tells me basically that he did the same thing to her he let her on and jerked her around and she's telling me the sad story you know about the same thing that happened to me and as I'm sitting there I'm like this is just sad like lifetime movie sad what this is and I I realized we're wasting so much time on this jerk of a guy you know and giving all this effort and so I tell her you know it's no big deal let's just let bygones be bygone and we spend the rest of that summer and we actually get to be really good friends and we enjoy each other's company and uh, we're still Facebook friends to this day and you know even though I set out for one thing that I didn't get I didn't end up totally alone because I did get the girl and that's okay (laughs) and I was content with that because I learned that a bird in the hand is worth two in the mail
3: let me stay up late watching a lot of really adult shows. And I remember my brother and sister and I used to really like dream on in Herman's head. And when I watch those now, they strike me as much more overtly sexual shows than there are on TV at the moment. Because of this, I was curious about actual human sexuality. The first time I touched a penis was under the table in home economics class when I was in the seventh grade. And the boy was Nick. He was this really cute basketball player. And we were together for five months, but we only kissed twice, still probably one of my longest relationships. We never got to see each other because Nick lived out in the country, and I lived downtown in this small college town in the upper Catskills, and even though my parents were like really permissive about letting me drink wine with dinner, or listen to violent rap music, or reading Philip Roth books, they would never have let me have a boyfriend when I was 12 years old. So I had to keep this relationship a secret. Because of this, the only contact we had was our daily note we exchanged in home economics class. And my girlfriends were so thrilled that I had a serious boyfriend that they would help me write and decorate and fold my daily love letter. And through this collaboration, my notes took on a much more suggestive tone than I had intended. At one point... I saw something on television where a woman wrote a really sexy note to a guy telling him all the things she really liked about his body. So I decided to try my own 12-year-old version of this, even though I'd never really seen Nick's body. And I wrote him a note that said something like, Dear Nick, good luck in basketball today. You have really sexy abs. Love, Caitlin. And he wrote me back something like, Dear Kate, I love you. Good luck in track today. You have the hottest ass in all of Otsego County. And it went on and on like this and got even more graphic until after about a month of exchanging and giving a note every day, I had a big paper bag full of like really dirty, folded up junior high origami under my bed. And I figured I needed to hide it from my parents. So I looked around my room and I focused in on my Laura Ingalls Wilder Little House on the Prairie box set. I figured if I could push the books out about an inch, I could hide all of my notes from Nick. So I did this, and I figured my relationship was safe. This went on, but after a while, notes weren't enough. One day, I decided, this is the only time I get to see my boyfriend. I'm going to use this as my intimate time. So we started out by holding hands. We held hands for about a week, and then... After a while, hand holding progressed to me throwing my leg over his under the table. And then I saw something where a woman stuck her hand down a guy's pants on TV, but that scene was in a restaurant and at a junior high. But I decided to try it out anyways. So this went on for about a week or two, where I was giving kind of like a half ass hand job while a woman in the front of the classroom talked about how to clean the sink and what baking powder was for. Finally, one day this really bad kid in the class, Dustin, figured out what was going on and he went under the table and witnessed this and came out from under the table and started screaming, oh boy, Nick, that's just great. You wouldn't believe what's going on under there. Our old lady teacher probably knew I was doing something wrong, but because I was a good student, the teacher believed me and not him, so Justin got sent to the principal, and I figured I got away with it. But the next day when we went into the class, the whole room had been rearranged. Instead of sitting around one big table, we had now been split up into groups, and I was mortified. The teacher had rearranged her entire lesson plan midway through the semester just because I couldn't keep my hands to myself. This distance proved too great between me and Nick. We only had... Our notes, I tried to call him once, but when I did, his mom said he was playing with fire, so I never called him again. After about a week of this, we ended up breaking up. I was sad about it, but I was really more concerned about the stash of really dirty notes I had from him behind my Laura Ingalls Wilder books. One day, when my dad was taking a nap on like a Saturday afternoon watching football, I decided to take a break from practicing piano and go upstairs and destroy all the notes. I decided to make a paste out of them. I got them in a plastic bag and I got them wet and I tried to mush them all up, but it didn't really work. So instead, I was like, I'll bury the notes. I tiptoed downstairs with my sopping wet bag of notes and dug a hole in our backyard, buried our notes. And just as I was cleaning up the hole, I heard my father call down from the balcony I was terrified, but I just played it off really cool, and I went inside and washed my hands and put the whole thing behind me. I didn't think he ever knew anything about Nick until one day he was driving me to a junior high dance, and he said something like, so, Mom says that boy that was always standing around when she used to pick you up, he isn't there anymore. And I didn't know what to say, but what came out of my mouth struck me as a really adult observation even at the time. I told him, people coming in and out of your life all the time, and we never spoke about it again. And I'm not sure where I got that line, but I'm pretty sure it was from TV.
4: I took a risk and then I died. Now I'm dead locked inside. A box in the dark and I thought I was smart, but I'm not. What are not. That's what happens when you risk. That's what happens when you
1: risk.
5: The biggest crush that I have ever had, it's a decade or more long, was this guy, Tommy Germain. I met him in the summer of 93. It was after my freshman year of college, and I went back down to Baton Rouge where I'm from and I was working backstage on the Baton Rouge Little Theater summer musical, which was Big River that year. He was Tom Sawyer. You know, he had that cute little song, How About a Hand for the Hog, which he just did so cute. He had the overalls. He was adorable. And he has like this beautiful skin and dark hair and this really perky butt. (laughs) He was just beyond cute. I used to write poems about this guy, like to this guy. Terrible, dreadful poetry that I would not share with this guy because I am not a poet. I would write poems about these drives that I would take. I would go and drive around the part of town where I knew he lived, I had no idea what his address or street was or which house was his, but I knew the part of town that he lived in. And so I would just drive around at midnight with the windows down, like this like hot summer air blowing across, just like, oh, he's near here somewhere. I know he's near here. I mean, it was really kind of creepy, but I was infatuated with this guy, you know? I remember at the time I was also infatuated with this Poy Dog Pondering album. And there was all these songs and they all seemed to be love songs. They all seemed to be about him. Say That You'll Be The One was one of the songs, but then the one that really got me was called Tabouché Tabou. It's French and it means your mouth is forbidden. And I just sing that over and over and I'd play that while I was driving around at midnight around his neighborhood. One of the lyrics was, my love for you, an unopened book, bittersweet, bittersweet. And I was like, oh, it's an unopened book because guess what? He was dating a girl in the cast. (laughs) So it was sort of a strange crush to have, but rather typical for me, certainly at that point in my life. So that was that, it was never expressed. I think I might've told one, the other older stage hand, this creepy guy named Horace. I think I would told him and we would talk about Tommy and his amazing butt and self and presence. Now flash forward years later, it turns out he is gay and he's living in New York. So I found him and I tried to be his friend, but I never expressed anything else because so many years had passed. I had this perfect vision of this old crush, which I still had these feelings, but I was really afraid to risk it, ruin it, spoil it. We hung out some, we went to theater together, but that was it and I never said anything. I never asked him out. And he lived here for, I don't know, a year or so. And then he was gonna move back south and he had a going away party. So I went to the going away party, and it was one of those, we're in our mid-twenties going away parties, so a bunch of people ended up just crashing there that night, and I was one of them. So then I sort of wake up in the morning, and he and I, we had some coffee, and he's like leaving the next day or something like that, and I was hungover, and I was kind of emboldened, and I just said, you know, I wonder why we never went out. And he looked at me and he said, well, I guess because you never asked. And I was like, you mean you would have gone out with me? And he was like, well, why wouldn't I have? And I was so devastated. (laughs) You know, those people in the middle ages used to go around like beating themselves on the back. I walked out of that apartment like one of those people. I have known some pain in my life, but that was one of the sharpest. I took my own breath away with how foolish and cowardly I had been to never ever risk expressing that. And there he was, he was like, yeah, you're a handsome guy, I would have gone out with you. Why not? I remember staggering out of his apartment, and this was before I had a cell phone, and I. I stumbled into a phone booth. It was pouring rain also, and I called a friend of mine to tell her she knew I had this crush on this guy. I told her what he had said, and I just remember I burst into tears, just like the rain falling, like I was sobbing and just all by myself in the world, and it was because of my own fear. Later that year, I was in Baton Rouge for a holiday, and I called him up, and uh, we got together. I wouldn't really call it a date, but I guess it was a date because afterwards we drove down to the levee on the river and we got out, you know, looked at the stars. And I did kiss him. It was a great kiss. I was like up against the hood of the car in the outdoors, the Mississippi River, the moon shining on it, you know, crickets. It was an amazing kiss. And I was like that song that I used to like sing over and over again Tabouche, tabou. Your mouth is forbidden. Not anymore, but really at that point, we didn't even live in the same city anymore, so it was still bittersweet. It was still an unopened book of whatever might have been. I learned from that one. I really try and express it now because you can't walk around with that for a decade. What's the point of that? I don't know if I've got another decade.
2: That was Mark Sam Rosenthal with Taboosh a Taboo. Before that, a little gothiness from Jordan Cooper. One more for you folks. This is our man, Adam Wade, a good guy having a good time, because it's a good time for the good guys. We call this the Poetry Man.
6: My name is Adam Wade. I'm originally from New Hampshire. Uh, When I was a freshman in in high school uh, in New Hampshire, uh, I played the saxophone in the marching band. And uh, compared to junior high, uh, we didn't have to really practice much. In high school, we played a lot. And for some reason, I'm a delicate flower. Uh, I uh, blew my eardrums uh, consistently from all the excess blowing of my alto saxophone. And I had to go to the doctor. And uh, basically, I was getting these ear infections. And he said, you can no longer play. And this uh, was a huge problem because... uh, I was still in the band, so I would just kind of just kind of go like this and you know, and like smile like if I saw people I knew. Uh, but the, the band is I missed a 4.0, my third quarter of freshman year, because I got a B in band. <laughs> and it's, sad. I to, it's not good. And, and, and um, the uh, hierarchy of high school was uh, there is the high school and then ostracized from our whole high school was the band. And, and by not playing um, a lot of the other kids in the band, some of them were nice. I wanted, but a lot of them weren't nice, and, and I was pretty much ostracized from the band. So it was high school band and me, and things were, I had a, some problems. And my, my parents did not take me to therapy, which I probably needed, uh, but my father got me a job in that May um, at a restaurant called the Puritan Back Room where I was a, a bus boy. And, and for me, it was great because I almost started from scratch and, and like a busing tables, you're, it, not, not not the best job. It, it wasn't very fun. I, I mean, clearing tables, and and, and uh, but I tried to make the uh, app lemons out of lemon, lemonade out of lemons. So I was like, I, what I did was I would uh, get the ice for the, the, the uh, bartenders, stuff I didn't have to do. They didn't have an employee of the month, but if they did, I, I would have got it, all right? And, and, and But the reason, I hated the job, um, but the thing that kept me going was Susie. Now, Susie was a senior in my high school, and like she was the only hostess that gave me the time of day when i say the time of day she would say like adam you're doing a good job, and she would touch me, and, and like I, I was a like, puberty, I was 15 years old, and a girl just like tap shoe, the things happened. and and it was just unbelievable, and, and, and like the best describer, she she looked like Whitney Houston, circa like white, but but with the puffy blonde hair, like I want to dance with somebody. That video. she looked just, and she smelled like oranges, and she wore flower dresses, and she was always smiling, and like like smiling at me, and it was it just made like like I switched my schedule, like during that summer, every time like with the schedule came out on Thursday I would switch my schedule to have her schedule so I'd always be with her and, and it was great and, but unfortunately like Susie had a boyfriend and his name was Terry and he was a prick uh, and, I mean he, he was a, he worked at a convenience store he was like 25 his parents convenience store he was a part-time bookie and he sung in a cover band a George Thurgood cover band called Bad to the Bones and it's true <laughs> and like like at the end, like and at the end of the night, we she'd always be smoking by the trash compactor, and I'd do the garbage. I mean, I I work it, you know. I wasn't a stalker, but I was. So like and like and one night she told me, she's like, uh, she's like, you know, Terry, he looks just like George Thurgood a little bit. I go, oh yeah, yeah, he does, yeah. But but you know, she's like, he, uh, I gotta tell you something, and I'm like, why? And she's like, he can't play the guitar, and he's so insecure about that. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. And she's like. And that turns me on, and I was like, "Wow! Like he, that's a vulnerability," and she's turned on, like, and like to me, like I thought at 15 years old, like I have a lot of vulnerabilities. I might have a shot. I mean, if she's attracted to vulnerability, Adam Wade, a lot of vulnerability, so then so um. So, so I was dreaming. It was a dreamy thing. And like um, I made like like you, you $5 an hour. The, the, the waitresses didn't tip you out, which wasn't very nice. But the waitresses were nice. It was, come on, 5 bucks an hour. Um, and, but uh, I got to eat for free. And, and I would make the, I would hide stuff. I mean, I couldn't, I wasn't supposed to, but I would. And I made these milkshakes. And I was creative. I, I mean, I'm not Ben and Jerry's, but I made this milkshake. If you've ever had an Andy's Mint, okay, I make these Adam's Andy's Mint milkshakes. And it's like you take two scoops. Of uh, chocolate, uh, mint chocolate chip. Put a little hot fudge with the milk, and then you blend it. And when you drink it, okay, like the chips, like with the hot fudge, that it melt. It's like it's like unbelievable. Like after after I sneak two hot dogs in the bathroom, I come out and make that. It was excellent. So I'm sucking one of those down, and it's good. I'm I'm in I'm in heaven for a moment. I mean, it was simple pleasures, folks. And like Susie watched by, and she's like, "Oh, what are you doing?" And I explain, and she's like, "Oh, can I have a sip?" Now I gotta tell you. I don't like sharing drinks with anybody. Like, up, my mother would be like, Let me have a sip of your Coke. I'd be like, Have it. I don't want it. Have it. Please. It's good. I don't want you. You know? But with Susie, it was different. It was different. I go, please have a sip. And I watched her, she had like her purple lipstick. She sucked it down and like the purple lipstick was on the white straw and she go, oh, she I go, you like it? She's like, yeah, I go, yeah. She's like, yeah, 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 and I was like, oh God. And I was kind of excited with the apron. Not, I'm not big, so they couldn't see it, but I was very excited. And, and so, she walk, so she walks away and, and like, I got this thing and I'm looking and I'm like, and I put it right to my lips and I'm just I start drinking. And it was like the closest I came to kissing her, you know? And it was it was like it, like I have kissed like twelve or thirteen girls in my life I'm 34 but like that was the best kiss like I mean like I mean it's not even that's in top three it's number one just because like at that moment I had my lips where her lip and my, I could smell so it was good so uh, like at the end of the night like I said she would always be in the back and, and she would uh, uh, be smoking and I would do by the trash compactor and, and they had like. So and we would talk, and I wouldn't talk, say much because I always say stupid stuff. But 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 like you know, she always say like she has Cabbage Patch dolls. She you know she's wanted to be in the CIA and she wanted to study penguins in the North Pole. And I know that penguins are in Antarctica and on in the north, but I didn't say anything because I'm not a buzzkill. I don't uh, think. So so like she's going on and on, and, and, and like these nights it's like two minutes, and then Terry comes on his Kawasaki Ninja motorcycle and, and he picks her up and they drive off. But like those two minutes, like I can't tell you like how great they were. Like it was so, and and like it moved me. Like I'm not a poet or anything like that. But like at 15 years old, like I like I had a lot of time to think about things, and and I wrote a poem about her. And my whole thing was like you gotta. Read this to Susie, and and like I thought it was the greatest thing, and I'm like, no, you can't read it to her because like you're paranoid. Like you finally you got a niche. Like the bartender talks to you, you know the waitresses. If if all of a sudden they start saying Adam's the poet, the bad poet, or if she shows people like I I don't need that, like my karma. But I'm like, you got to do it. So like the countdown was going, and I know she was gonna go to the University of New Hampshire, and I kept it in my back pocket. I'm like, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. And then we get out, and I'm like, hey, and we throw in the garbage, and I, I couldn't do it, and I'm like. Panicking and and like you come to a point in your life where, I mean, at least for me, is like, you know what? What the fuck? Do it. So it was like the last night she was there is the last night and I was panting like I can't tell you I was sweating. I threw up in the bathroom. I was I mean, it was it was And and my voice got gravelly But I was like you gotta do it. You gotta do it So I timed it and it was like her last shift. She's hugging everybody I got the poem and I got it in my hand and I'm like holding it like this I'm like holding it like this I'm holding it, and she walks out and I see her like this the cigarette the cool cigarette and I run out and I go Susie Your last night and she's like yeah, I know and I go I wrote a poem for you and i like to read it and she's like oh really yes please and I go okay and I didn't look at her when I read it so just so you know. <laughs> Susie Susie at work do the locomotion here's your milkshake the Wade love potion and I didn't mean a dirty my last name's Wade it was the milkshake <laughs> it's mint chocolate chip ice cream with hot fudge and milk I love your flower dresses, are they cotton or silk? (laughs) I got a 10-speed bike, yeah I'm the motor, born to be wild, I'm a 15-year-old hell's angel. Now like Terry had the Kawasaki Ninja, I had the Raleigh Capri bike with my red Sox batting gloves. I would drive (laughs) nobody could understand what I was trying to do. You see people at the restaurant, you're the hostess with the mostess. I may clean off the tables, but I'm a rebel, like James Dean. And like, I was like this, I was like a little chubby and I had like my, because I was in my James Dean phase, like rebel without a cause. I was watching it all the time and, and I was like sucking in my cheeks all the time. I was trying, I was trying and I grew the sideburns. I couldn't grow hair. So it was just long and it was like, it was bad. But my aunt Susie was the general manager at Fine Leans, and, and she got me this double extra large cause it was free, uh, like red, like barracuda jacket, like And I, and I wore that like on the hottest days, like to work cause I thought that was cool. No, It wasn't. It wasn't. Cliff the dishwasher can crap his pants again, but you smell just the opposite of him. (laughs) I hope your boyfriend moves to California. He's getting too big for his britches. I'll pop him with the shovel and give him six stitches. Now my dad, like, is not a big, he's like me, he's not a big guy, but he always told me, like, if you ever get in a fight, like, hit someone with a shovel. And I've been in two fights, I've gotten my ass kicked. I'm bad. But, like, part of the joke is, like, I'm always looking for the shovel. (laughs) But it's, yeah, okay. (laughs) Seriously, like, if you push me to the bar, if there's a shovel look out, I'm badass. (laughs) I can't smoke because I have baby lungs, and I'm asthmatic. I can't smoke because I have baby lungs, but you look sexy when you do it outside while I empty the garbage into the trash compactor. Remember, you told me you have 14 Cabbage Patch dolls. I got a big heart for you, even though my lungs are small. I love you, Susie. You are my carpe diem. And that's—I took Latin, but no, that wasn't the—that uh, teacher was easy, so I got A's, but I did not learn proper usage. So I finished it, and then I looked up at her, and I gave her like one of these, and and, and she was like teary-eyed. She was, teary-eyed. she was like teary-eyed. She was moved. And she came over to me. She goes, Adam, you are so special. And I don't know if she meant like special needs <laughs> or special, but in my head, I was like, I was so emotional. I go, she meant it the good way. She meant it the good way. She, and she gave me a big hug and, and like she squeezed me. And this was like my moment to be reciprocated uh, to her. Uh, but I gave her like, I've never hugged a woman before except my grandmother and my aunt and my mother so I kind of gave her like a dead fish hug, which was a, it's a big regret of mine. But I just went like that, and and, and we, we were there for a minute, and then Terry came in, into the parking lot, and and, and she got off, and this was the last time I, I was gonna see her. So I was emotional, and and, and I was bawling, and like I cry, I cry. Make feel bad for yourself, Adam Wade. That's I mean I was just I was teary-eyed, and then my last part of the job of the night is you walk around the parking lot three times picking up cigarette butts, and you have to have at least 150 before you can go back into the work. So uh, which is fun. I mean you could be out there all night, and I'm I'm bawling my eyes out. and I'm like the third whoop, and I've gotten a lot of cigarette. I'm good at this. I, I can. It's dark, but I, I pick them out because I've been doing. It. Um, and, I, and, I, and I'm crying. I'm feeling bad for myself, like like nobody's business. But then like I, like it, it was like this moment where I'm like you know. Think about it. Like, no one like even talks too much in high school, but like you just emotionally did something that actually moved like the prettiest girl you've ever seen. Like for you, and and like all of a sudden like I like my my tears were like tears of joy because for the first time in my life, and perhaps the last time, like <laughs> I, I I it gave me like a, a huge amount of hope and, and, and like a sense that like it might take a long time. But you—you got potential. You got potential. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. Take
4: a risk.
5: And there
2: you have it, folks. We like a lot of things, but there's three things we like most, love, love, and love. We're going to go out with a tune by the man of surprises, Ben Lerman. And remember what the Brazilians say about risk, anyone who has an anus also has concerns. Trust me, folks, those Brazilians do have anuses. Do they ever.
4: on my dancing shoes. Loving ain't forever just till somebody crowds. That's why I'm taking a risk Oh, I ought to be an astronaut So I can dance on the moon But gravity will have its way with me So I'm gonna blast off soon Now I feel like I've just been reborn As magical as a unicorn I swing You can have the whole world right in your palm But your hand will explode if they drop the bomb That's why I'm taking a risk Look out, I'm taking a risk Hear that, brother? I step back up, because I'm taking An operational, quite sensational Inspirational, confrontational Lord knows I'm taking a risk